What's up, comic book fans? Anchor Pete here, and I'm with my good friend, my comic book buddy, Mr. Brian Corsehair. Brian, it's Wednesday night. It's our time, man. Let's do it. Yes, yes. So, guys, we are talking about the HBO Max show, Doom Patrol, which uh, we have been covering season three. And tonight, we are covering three episodes of season three. We're covering five, six, and seven. So, Brian, um, I showed you last week that I have been like reading this Grant Morrison Doom Patrol trade, right? Uh, no, you actually didn't. I, I I didn't know you were reading it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the cool thing is I got this from the library, right? Nice. And this is like a big inspiration for the show, you know, the Grant Morrison era. Pretty much all the stuff comes from this Grant Morrison era. And um, the subjects of these three episodes, the sisterhood, the Dada sisterhood, they're in this uh, trade. You can actually see some of them right here. Oh, yeah, look at that. You know what? I actually didn't really look up the what they look like in the comics. I should have did that. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll go through, like, the comic itself, and we'll talk about each individual episode, and we'll have a fun effing time. So you ready to jump in? Yeah, let's do it. <clears throat> okay, cool, cool. So uh, I did a little research on the Doom Patrol and what they were like before Grant Morrison came in. And it turns out that there was basically two versions of the Doom Patrol before his run in the late 80s. So there's the original run that was in the 1960s, and that had the team that we know with, like, Rita Farr and, uh, you know, Cliff Steele, Robot Man, and then, of course, uh, Larry Trainer, right? Yes. And so um, that team totally got killed, right? Yep. <laughs> and then there, there was another version that came out um, in the, uh, what do you call it, the 70s, that was um, with new members. And they were written by a guy named Paul Kupperberg. And he basically gave them a new team. And these new members were a person I don't think we've seen on the show yet. Her name is Celsius. Uh, but I was wondering, her real name's Arani. And that's not the name of uh, Dorothy's mom, right? No, it's not. I okay, wonder okay. if that was one of the people we saw in season two with, the, uh, with that older team. Yeah. So one of the people that was on that older team, I remember, was like that guy Mento, who yeah. he's been in uh, the Teen Titans cartoon too, the old school one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was definitely on that team. But you had Celsius. And then with this other team, uh, Robot Man was remade. Like his body was remade. There was a new one. Uh, but it was made by Will Magnus. And you know him, right? Yes. Uh, creator of the Middleman. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Another team that just gets killed often. Yeah. And then um, the negative spirit possessed a cosmonaut, and that was Valentina Volstock. Which do you remember who that was? Yes, that's the uh, the cosmonaut, and in, in, well, in the show, it was the, the the Russian cosmonaut that Larry talks to. And uh, God, was it season two? It must have been season two. Season two, yeah. yeah. So the cool thing about her, because on season two they show that she can control the negative spirit way better than Larry could. Yeah. And in the comics, she would, like, literally turn into the negative spirit versus, like, shooting it out of her body. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and then last but not least, there was an African-American Vietnam vet. His name was, uh, what do you call it? His superhero name was Tempest. And I think that he's kind of the inspiration for Cyborg on the team. Like, I think that they kind of make the Cyborg character like his personality. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because um, one thing, I, I gotta find this guy's name. I wrote it down here somewhere. But um, he stuck around until the Grant Morrison era. 
And so um, he ended up being kind of like a medic for the team versus like a superhero, but he could still, he could shoot like energy blasts. And have you kind of noticed that when they talk to Cyborg, they always talk about his cannon a lot? Yes. And then that's kind of like the only prosthetic we've seen on his arm, like this entire season, really. Yeah. His regular hand and the cannon. That's it. Right, right. So, so like, I think that because they focus so much on the cannon, it's kind of like a reference to this other guy, which, shit, I can't find his name on here. But um, anyway, the reason why I brought all this up is just because the behind-the-scenes stuff with comics and the way that they influence stories um, really always interests me. And what happened was they brought this new team in um, using DC Showcase. Have you ever heard of that before? Uh, yeah, it's one of those, like, um, it, I don't want to call it an anthology. I guess it is an anthology. You know, like Amazing Fantasy or Tales of Suspense. Yeah, like things like that. Yeah. Yeah, the way that comics kind of started out, right? And it was just basically a way to like introduce new characters, see if people were interested in them. And then like, if they were, then they could spin out into their own books. So they brought the Doom Patrol back and they did this new superhero approach. And then they made the Doom Patrol um, an ongoing title, but it didn't do so well. And the guy that wrote it, his name was uh, Paul Kupperberg, like I mentioned before. And he ended up writing with, uh, drawing, you know, making the comic with Eric Larson too, uh, from Savage Dragon. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. He, he, he worked on this comic with Eric Larson or another comic? No, he did the Doom Patrol comic and the first artist left because they didn't get along. And so they brought in Eric Larson. So Eric okay. Larson drew the Doom Patrol comic. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, last but not least, the comic wasn't doing so well. So DC had this invasion event, which was um, kind of like their way of introducing mutants into the DC universe. Because instead of mutants, they have metahumans, right? And so with this, the these aliens called the Dominators set off a gene bomb and they like activated the powers of all the metahumans that were on Earth. So it's Sounds like very, had, like, very much like uh, the, the Terrigan mists and uh, and humans and what they did in uh, what was it? it was was that in humans versus X Men? Whatever. The, the Terrigan mist bomb in uh, that's actually in Infinity when Thanos attacks the Inhumans. Yes, and that's then, right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I, I know I'm kind of hijacking this whole episode. I'm doing this backstory shit. But basically, um, the people that got activated, some of them were the Brotherhood of Dada. And those are people that Mr. Nobody found and kind of recruited to make his team. So as we discussed tonight, you'll see there's kind of a big difference between the Sisterhood of Dada and the Brotherhood of Dada. And uh, I already sound like a fucking lunatic saying this stuff. You know? <laughs> but but you just found out that Dadaism is a, is a real thing. Yeah, right? I, I didn't know. I, I just decided to just look it up before we recorded this. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is an actual real thing. Um, yes. And, you know, it is being a, a response to, uh, you know, war in, uh, in, in the early 19th century. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting thing to just for the comic to tie it into you know, real life and real real events um and um another thing i noticed maybe this is jumping ahead a little too far but i found it very interesting that the years they traveled back to mm. were uh it was 1917 and 1947 which were was it was 47 right i thought it was 39 1917 39? and 1939 maybe yeah, i'm wrong though because yeah you might be right sorry go ahead 
Well, it, I I thought I thought they both coincided with the kind of big red scare movements, you know, oh, okay, and, and, okay. and you know, especially in the forties with the McCarthyism and all that. And it's just like it just like whacked me in the face with what things are going on in the world right now. And I'm like, wow, like comic books can actually teach you something or make you look something up. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and dude, you're totally right. It was 1949. So you're right. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm not exactly sure. Like, because how do you feel about this whole like Rita storyline where she goes back in time? Like, are you digging it? Do you think it's weird? Be, be totally honest. It's, um, well, everything's really weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, That's true. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it seems like a, almost like a left field turn. Uh, because the the beginning of the the season, it seemed like she was going to be taking on a, a leadership role of in the Doom Patrol, but it seems like she ended up taking a, a leadership role in the, the Sisterhood instead. Yeah. So on one hand, I, I kind of like that curveball of it, but um, and I think I think that definite reading that definition of Dadaism and and understanding what that was kind of makes you understand the whole uh, what was going on a little better, I guess, or, or you know, and, and how they were expressing it. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't want to say I dislike it. It's, it's not my favorite storyline. It's not my least favorite uh, in, in the season so far. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've noticed with comic book adaptations uh, when they make it into a TV show is that they really dial up the drama and they really dial up the emotions that characters feel. Right. In comics, it's almost kind of more about like reveals and plot twists to excite the reader, to keep them reading. And you absolutely have that in shows, too. But in the shows, it really does seem like they like really play up the drama and the characters emotions. And so oh, of course. I that's that's just a, 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 a tenement of, of television. You know, they, they have to uh, in terms of like budgets and like that, especially in a, in a show that's supposed to be based on like superheroes, they mm -hmm. have to. They have to dial up the drama and and you know and base a lot of the content on dialogue and then just like steal scenes and not have effects in every shot you know um so it it, it makes perfect sense and you know this, this it's kind of like all modern superhero shows for the most part are, are like mm. very 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 good point yeah and and i think that they also try to like showcase the acting like because that's something that of course you have the illustrations to show the emotions and stuff in comics but really when you have live action, you want to like play to people's strengths. Right. And so I think that if you look at like the sisterhood of Dada in this show versus the brotherhood, right. Which like some of the people are back here, like there's the guy with the bikes and that's a uh, sleepwalking one. Right. And that's the fog over there. Um, in the comic, Mr. Nobody, who was so big in season one, he goes around and he recruits each of them. And you just kind of see these little scenes where he like, you know, finds them essentially in random parts of the world. And then um, in the show, it's a much more personal thing where Rita is in this, um, you know, the ant farm, which is kind of the uh, Bureau of Normalcy. And there's this whole thing about like them just sort of being the outcasts, not fitting in, looked down upon. And th there's like this metaphor for them being like, they could be like trans or they could be gay or they could just be, just socially, yeah, they're just looked down upon and, and as as freaks in general. Uh, yeah, absolutely could be taken for any any of those marginalized groups. 
Right. And like even in the time period, the setting, because you mentioned how important the time periods were, you know, of course, like just just being African-American, just being a woman, you know, makes them different yeah. from other people in this bureau. Right. And so um, they, they really like lean into that. Whereas like Grant Morrison, when he um, he really relies on the lore to show like to, to make statements about the character's emotions and to like give you a kind of an emotional impact. Like he, he like kind of references things in the past and, and a lot of his stuff is just sort of like in your face to get a reaction from you and weird. Right. But the show is much more about like, look at these people, look how damaged they are. And like, we want to feel for them and root for them. So they're very different, even though the plots are kind of similar. You know? Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, with all that being said, boy, I feel like I'm fucking yabbering a lot tonight. Um, <laughs> I kind of feel like it falls a little flat because, like, the, the emotional. Okay. Instead of me fucking talking the whole time, wh what emotional stuff on this show you know, over the course of three seasons, like, what emotional stuff has really clicked and hit for you on the show? Um, a lot of the stuff with Cliff about being a, uh, a bad father uh, is, is, is clicked. Um, you know, the, the the fear of it, trying to make up for it. Um, what else? I just had another thing. I lost it already. Stuff um, with Crazy Jane? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how to, how to put that in words, though. I mean, I, I, I like that and I enjoy it, but I, I guess I don't really relate to it necessarily. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I understand that they're all, all those characters were created to pr protect her um but it, it doesn't necessarily impact me i guess um yeah. and uh oh, man i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe um honestly maybe cyborg and this whole question about uh you know being made as a weapon or or not and you know possibly changing who he is Based on uh, if he was made or if he chose his path, sort of thing, um, mm. that kind of resonates with me a bit. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think there's all different kinds of things. There's like Niles' dedication to Dorothy is kind of strong, I think. Oh my and god, yeah, yeah, yes, and that too. And, yeah, and, and like Dorothy kind of being this little girl, not wanting to be a little girl. I, I remember that scene where she sings that song from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I remember that kind of touched my heart. I think the stuff with Larry when you're first finding out that he was gay, like besides his whole issue with the negative uh, spirit and stuff, like his whole gay thing in the first season is real strong. And like his wife's reaction to him, all, all the stuff is, is strong and it, and it bites. But I think the problem with Rita is that I don't know if they know what to do with Rita because so far in this Grant Morrison trade, I'm pretty sure that Rita is considered dead. She dies in that original Doom Patrol volume. And so yeah. I don't think Rita's in this at all. And I know that that's what they, they draw from. And so they're like, okay, well, what can we do for Rita? And so they make this whole time travel thing and this whole sisterhood, Dada sisterhood thing. And that's not the source material. And I think that like the stuff with Rita that always worked the best for me was when she's kind of like ashamed of who she is or like she starts to melt and stuff and she has to get control over that. Um, and like in the last season, 
she was trying to be part of this play and they kept talking about this blob lady and she knew that was her but um it kind of works when she's kind of ashamed of herself and this is like the reverse but i just think it kind of falls flat you know what i'm um, saying you know what though but I, I think there's a point where you have to grow past it and i think that's mm -hmm. what they're trying to show here and yeah. maybe you're right about the source material that you know she's not as included so that they're kind of making it up as they go but i i kind of like how they're tying things together and you know using things that they don't have a purpose for and kind of mixing them together um mm. i mean the, the brotherhood of, of Dada from the comics is, is much more prominent, um, is very prominent in the comics. So, um, and for them to tie tie it back to them is uh, into actions that, that the Doom Patrol has taken over the course of the show. You know, they were locked away in the ant farm based on the, uh, you know, the actions of the, the betrayal of, uh, well, I can't remember her name. Oh, uh, Laura DeMille? Laura DeMille. Um and, you know, when they destroyed the Bureau of Normalcy, they were all just, like, set free. And that's what set all the stuff in motion. So it's just, like, it's all compounding on their actions over the course of the show. So I, I kind of appreciate that, too. I, yeah. I like when they tie things up in a bow, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've kind of talked about the differences between the comics. And I, I really like that because I, I wanted that to be the kind of the purpose of this show is to kind of talk about the comic source material and then, like, what they make out of it, right? And so I think like our, our best next step then is to just kind of go episode by episode. So let's talk about episode five, Dada Patrol. And let's just talk about the way that the Dada Patrol, uh, Dada, Sister of the Dada, whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> Dada Sisterhood gets portrayed, right? No, the Sisterhood of Dada. The Sisterhood of the Dada Traveling Pants, whatever the fuck yes. it's called. Yes. <laughs> so I'm just going to call them the Dada people, okay? Anyway, um, so in the comics, you have uh, Sleepwalk, and that's the one that was, like, sleeping on the ice cream truck, right? Yes. Okay. Then you have Fog, and in the comics, it's Byron Shelley, which that's a play on two literary figures, too. That's Mary Shelley and Lord Byron, right? Nice. And then, uh, but in the show, it's gender-swapped, where she's Shelley Byron. I appreciate little details like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, you have this other character called The Quiz, which is like this Asian woman in hazmat clothes. And it's kind of funny because I think they filmed this during COVID so that, you know, they're all wearing a mask and shit. But in the comics, um, she's like that, too, uh, because she's deathly afraid of dirt. That, that's something that Grant Morrison would come up with, isn't it? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's right here, if you can see her. Um, she's like in a mental institution. Huh. In like um, Japan, do they ever get? Do they give much uh, uh, explanation on her power set? Because I'm very yes. confused. Do you want her? Her power set's fucking ridiculous. You want to know what it is? Yes, it's every superpower that you've never thought of. That's literally her power set. Interesting. Okay, so if you can think of the superpower, then she doesn't have it anymore. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the the quiz, and then the other character is called Agent, but in the show they just kind of call him Malcolm, and he's the guy that has the bird cage yeah. for a chest and yeah. turns invisible. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah, then we didn't talk about um, the other guy. Shit, did I run him down? The the guy who's like an African American on the show. Oh, um, uh, Vortex. 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 No, 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 not Vortex. Frenzy. Frenzy. 
Frenzy. How could I forget that? Yeah, how could I forget that? Yeah, freaking Transformer name. Yeah, Frenzy. Uh, I actually thought that he was the most compelling on the show. What did you think? Uh, yeah, especially when he had. Uh, well, not in this episode, but uh, the, the speech he has when they all decide to to do the uh, the eternal uh, flagellation. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that got me pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the things that this show has that's a strength is it casts very strong actors. And I think he in particular was very well cast. And uh, yeah. I think he just, every time he spoke, just pff, perfect. Yeah, um, even the, even his reactions, like when he walks into the, uh, in this in the sixth episode, uh, 1917 Patrol, um, when he walks into the lunchroom and he sees Rita sitting there, the, both the first time and then the time where they kind of rebel, like his his reactions are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So the the first episode that we're reviewing, episode five, Dada Patrol, it's it's a very atypical Doom Patrol episode, right? Because essentially you get the whole team, they go someplace, and then they all get separated, and each thing is its own little personal, like connects to their own individual stories, right? And yeah, Cliff is the, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say this the, these at least these three episodes, and maybe even beyond too every story feels very individualized. Like I feel like everybody has like a, a very self-centric plot that I don't feel was as uh, prominent in the previous seasons. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. they were, I don't know. <laughs> well, um, with Cliff, we got to talk about Cliff, man, because it's just so fucking wacky. He's got his Parkinson's or potentially Parkinson's. So he takes drugs but he takes like a crazy amount of Parkinson's medication. Yes. And he's just high off his ass. And he goes into this crazy Grant Morrison kind of bizarre scenario. And he's high, you know? And yeah. so I just, I just, I love the imagery of like him putting the pills in a little fucking, what do you, what do you call those things? Like a funnel? Yeah. Funnel to, to his uh, nutrient tank or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I just love that shit. <laughs> And then he's got that obsession, right, with, like, um, stripper chat rooms and, like, lame video games. You know what, though? Um, I, I'm kind of, like, wondering where that storyline's going. Yeah. It feels a little out of place, I guess. It feels, like, kind of disconnected. I mean, it's it's showing that he's a, um, he's a uh, impulsive person. And yeah. And, you know, he can be obsessive as well. Um, and he's just going down a, a really dark rabbit hole here as he, as he sells everybody's stuff to pay for the stuff, uh, that he's doing. But it seems like I, I out of all the storylines, I feel like I, I don't see like, this doesn't feel like it was from the comic. No, 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 at all. No, his comic is very different from the uh, the, the show and the comic for Robot Man are very different. He he yeah. does get into a car accident on the racetrack in the comic, and he I don't think they refer to his family at all in the comic, but his family is a big part of the show. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because if you look behind both of us, both of our impulses are kind of on display behind us, right? You got all your Transformers figures, right? I have books. You know, I just buy books at a drop of a hat. You kind of buy Transformers when you want to. Um, I think the idea behind Cliff, and if it's like an overarching three-season thing, is that he ended up in the, the situation because 
he cheated on his wife and he was like very impulsive and like in the first season they show him like going back to cheating like multiple times you know and yeah. i think that by the third episode that we're talking about tonight doesn't he have the opportunity to use like his daughter's credit card to pay for more stuff yes he does he does uh he does have the opportunity he does not do it uh well actually you know what i'm not sure because at the, at the end towards the end of the, the episode he's in the garage talking to the stripper and you know it, it doesn't seem like it, they um uh, his daughter took the card back already but um it i'm, I'm interested to see how he's doing that yeah i i think that like it, it kind of goes back and forth between he's stuck in this robot body and it's so horrible that he's in this robot body versus like he kind of had his vices when he was human and you'd think he's connect disconnected from his human body but yet he's kind of going back to his vices that that's my yeah. take on it I mean, they're they're setting him up, uh, you know, to have a falling out with just about everybody at this point. Right. So, um, maybe yeah. maybe that's where this is going. Yeah, because he just keeps going and taking the Doom Patrol people's stuff and selling it so he can get more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think uh, that's good for episode five. We can kind of go. Oh uh, no! One more thing I wanted to comment on that. So uh, one of the things too, and I guess this is the third episode jumping ahead again, but uh, you know, he great. sells he sells Jane's records. And yeah. I just want to real call out real quick the beginning of episode five. Um, Jane is listening to uh, a My Chemical Romance album, which oh, Gerard Way wrote some of the more recent Doom Patrol stuff and is very inspired and in, uh, by by Grant Morrison. Yes, I have. I kind of have a little thing going for Gerard Way right now, and I keep playing the Black Parade song over and over again. And my little nice. six year old is into it; she keeps requesting it. That's a great album. I, I I don't, I could not get into that band, but I love that album. Yeah, that album is great. Yeah, um, and then and yeah, and a little side note, just for anyone who's interested, probably nobody, but like he, um, Gerard Way has another comic called like the Fabulous Killjoys. And I think that he has an album called that, and they have a video that's like it looks like the comic essentially, but it's as a music video, and Grant yeah. Morrison's in that video too. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think he wrote. I think Grant Morrison like wrote like a forward on like the first trade of umbrella academy two or something so yeah yeah those two they're very like yeah 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 um so anyway let's go into episode six so 1917 patrol that's where we see a lot of like the dada sisterhood people just kind of you know like just what their life is like and they see, you see the dynamic with um you know uh demille and her and them right um and larry's got like a, a tumor that's growing too. Yes, uh, that's been kind of marinating for the last few episodes. And was it this episode that we see? Um, the, the no, no, it's the, it's the seventh episode. Yeah, that the, the slug pops out. So we'll, we'll save that for later, I guess. Yes, um, yes, yeah. But yeah, that's what's going on with Larry. Um, I, I found, I found the the flashback scene, the the, the nineteen seventeen and the uh, and then in the nineteen forty seven or forty nine, whatever it was. Uh, seems to be in interesting for Laura. Um, I also find it really interesting that in all the descriptions on HBO Max, they, they refer to her as Madame Rouge, but they have not once said that on the show. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to see how much of an ally she was at first. And then it's, it's a little, I mean, maybe it's a little jarring how she kind of turns, but I mean, they, they do a 30 year time jump 
And uh, I, I might be getting a little tired of this nobody ages thing. Like, it just so happens that not a single person ages at all, ever. Yes. Like, I, I feel like I was trying to rationalize it a lot at first. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But now with this, I'm like, okay, this is this is a little much. Yes, I, I agree. And I think about that all the time. Like, everyone in the Dada sisterhood, they are all, uh, you know, they don't age. The Doom Patrol doesn't age. Um, it, it's kind of funny because... You know, the X-Men, they compared the X-Men and the Doom Patrol all the time, and especially when they all came out. Um, and if you look at the X-Men characters, like in the first class movies, for all those sequels and stuff of the first class movies, those people don't really age either. So it's kind of interesting that they do that because, you know, metahumans and mutants are very similar. Um, yeah. But you, you bring up something I wanted to ask you about, too, because one thing they haven't done yet is they haven't explained how Laura DeMille gets the time machine in the first place yeah i feel like we're gonna get to that soon and i and we're gonna find out why um rita trapped herself in i you know what was it even rita because for a second i thought it did look like laura demille in that yeah. in that earlier scene so um that still has to be solved i suppose but by the end of the season here yeah 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 and, and so all this stuff is kind of tied in with the uh eternal flagellation which just sounds so fucking weird right it does um and i very much enjoyed that cliff thought it was flagellation right 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 do you know what flagellation is by the way yeah uh it's like um it it was funny there's this game i play called darkest dungeon where it's like it's really it's about like going in a dungeon but you also have to like manage the stress of going into a dungeon and there's a character called um the, fl- the flagellant. Uh, and it's it, it's kind of like self-abuse in terms – in order to gain purification. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. So I, I imagine that there's going to be some kind of test for each of these characters coming up in the next episode. I see. And so the idea that the Dada sisterhood has – or the sisterhood of Dada has like, – whatever the fuck. It, it's that like people have to kind of hurt themselves essentially to kind of purify themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we see examples of that. There's this movie I, I watched this year uh, called uh, Saint Maud. There's some flagellation in that. Then I guess. And then um, I always think of Paul Bettany in um, the Da Vinci Code. He kind of like hurts himself, right? Like whips himself. I never saw it. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Who cares? But um, so yeah, that's interesting. Okay, flagellation. Like people have to hurt themselves to essentially get enlightenment. Um. So then. One of the other things that we haven't talked about yet is that there's a side plot going on with Crazy Jane where uh, Kay wants to leave the underground and go up to the surface. Right? Yeah, actually, I'm, I, I this is one of my favorite storylines still. Of course, it's a Jane storyline. And um, another thing I noticed, too, is that they don't actually ever call her Crazy Jane. I think they do it like once and very early on and then maybe one other time somewhere. But they they, they call her Jane, which right. I, I think um, – I don't know. Maybe they're trying to erase some stigma with with mental illness and met, mental disabilities, which I appreciate. But yeah, I, I I like where this story is going. Where you know Jane still has still wants the best for Kay, but all the others are kind of seeing like, uh oh, if, if if she gets better, like what happens to us? Right. They're, all, right. they're, they're taking it into self preservation. So I think that's a really interesting conflict. Maybe it's a little bit of a rehash of of uh, Miranda taking over previously, 
but um, it's a little different. I, 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 it's different enough that I'm still interested by it. Yeah, that would be really cool if, like, when the show ends, there's just one personality, and it's just Kay, and she walks out, and like the, all the personalities are gone. That'd be kind of interesting, or they're like locked away somewhere. That'd be a very like final kind of note. It'd be sad, but it'd be interesting, you know, because she's like finally yeah. brave enough to go face the world. Um, so. Yeah, and, and then there was like a new personality, right? That I'd never seen before. This sort of older woman that was in charge. Um, I think it she has been there before. Uh, oh, it's yeah. Doctor something Harrison. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like she has been in the show before. Maybe okay. it was a different okay. actress at the time, but I I feel like I heard that name and I heard it before. So yeah. She kind of reminded me of the secretary a little bit. And I think that, like, if Jane aged the right way, that's probably how old – or if Kay aged the right way, that's how old she would be. Uh, when was she born? Wasn't she born, like, really early, too, though? Which she, yeah, they're old. She probably be, old. Yeah, I feel like she was supposed to be born, like, the 40s or 50s, right? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. All right, she'd be older. Yeah, yeah. Cliff is, like, the youngest one out of all of them. Yeah, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, what do you call it? That leads us up to Bird Patrol, which just has such a fucking ridiculous ending, right? <laughs> Episode seven. But essentially, you have like these parallels between uh, Rita and the Sisterhood of Dada, and then the, the Doom Patrol itself, to where it ends up with this like sort of synchronized dance routine, right? Yes. Um, do you remember? Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Do you, you saw the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths miniseries for the CW, right? Yes. Do you remember, like, when they showed the different worlds and they showed the Doom Patrol world? Yes, they did. Yeah, it was just like them dancing. Remember? <laughs> and it's like I think that's what people probably think of with this show. It's just like it's this goofy show where the characters are always dancing and. Acting dramatic. Yeah, well, you know? I guess they dance. They dance more than most shows. <laughs> yes, they dance more than most superhero shows. Like as a team. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So you um, give Baron Zemo a run for his money. Yes, that's true. Well, that wait, that looks obscene. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> um, but basically, you know, that's where we see Laura Demille truly turn on the others. And with the uh, ant farm, you've had the idea that metahumans could be um, like weapons, or they could be whatever the other ones are used for not a weapon they... that's, that's that's how they mark them yeah okay yeah yeah and so uh, you know at the very end she goes around with the clipboard and she starts labeling everybody as a weapon and um they go to get recruited essentially but then that guy malcolm fights and then he gets killed right yes he gets killed and also i i mean i'm assuming that i mean I'm not assuming it's very obvious that malcolm was the one that Save them in the uh, in the in where, where was that the that tunnel thing in the in Dead Patrol? So yeah, again coming around in a circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh man, that's okay. That's that that's actually pretty cool. I like that a lot. Um, and and also that, too, like the the way he looked in that. You know, as soon as I saw the mask he put on, I'm like oh duh. Right, right, right. So, but see, like. That's the whole thing about this show, right? Because, like, 
the idea of the sisterhood of Dada and the way they act, it's like they're just so free-spirited and weird and they don't care about what people think about them. And they kind of come off as like people that do um, improv theater and stuff. And that can really get on people's nerves. And like when they were doing their weird little skits and stuff, that was getting on my nerves. And I, I feel like I'm very accepting of people. and I'll take all different types. But I was like, oh, it just... It's like a little too much, you know? It's like yeah, well, I, I mean, honestly, reading that definition just made so much sense to me. It really helped me, like, I process the episode better because they're really just kind of, like, very frivolous and, you know, uh, and, and it's just random expression and very avant-garde. And, I, like, I never really got the avant-garde stuff. Um, so uh, just knowing that that was something that was there and not just something they just did in the show for the hell of it, kind of maybe accepted a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. And like, there was like, I think like maybe the lowest point, the point where I was like the most annoyed or like disturbed was when they were all kind of just making like random duck noises and stuff. And they're like, quack, quack. And they started to dance around, but then it kind of redeemed itself when they started to play poker face by Lady Gaga. Yeah. So I was like, okay. okay. I also, I also, do you, you watch the rest of development, right? Oh yeah. With the, the, yeah, the chicken. Yeah, it reminds me of all the chicken dances. Have any of you ever seen the chicken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I guess I didn't feel so bad for them when they were going to be recruited as weapons. I, I think that they they kind of annoyed me a little bit. I, I'd hate to say that, but it's just, it's the way they acted. It has nothing to do with what type of person any of them are. It's just like the way they were acting was kind of annoying. Well, I mean, just just knowing that Dadaism is, is literally... Um, uh, anti-war like it was created in an effort and uh, as as a an opposite to, to war going on in the real world and then them being used for war is it really uh it, it really accentuates the, the betrayal there honestly it's you know yeah. they were against it and then they got used for it and you know that that's what what worst thing could happen to them i guess um, very good point so, and uh i did like that aspect of it okay yeah, and, um, you know, they do say multiple times, like Laura says, like, they're pacifists, they're pacifists, they're not going to fight you, they're pacifists, you know, so yeah, you're right, it's like, they're pacifists that are being turned into weapons of war, so yeah, okay, that makes it better, that, that like, elevates it, so, I mean, it brings us to this really fucking weird ending, where there's, like, this kind of creature in a cage, and it looks kind of like a omelet with wings, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and it kind of looks like it has um, what, what's his name? I forgot his name. Malcolm. Malcolm's. It looks like it has Malcolm's face on it. Yeah, yeah. So, is the implication then that Rita essentially has been around since she got with them? So like she went like, back in time and she didn't come back. She yeah. existed, which is odd. Yeah, it's like she never interacted with herself except for potentially at that. Um, resort or whatever yeah it's almost like you know captain america going back in avengers uh an endgame is like you know like how does he not act upon any of the things he knows about and that time that he apparently spent you know just yeah. sitting around um so this this season three came out after endgame yeah this was like last october november oh okay wow okay yeah shit so um did you have anything else you want to say about these particular episodes? Like I had like two more. Oh uh, yeah, we, we we skipped it over Larry um, and, and oh, Parasite. Okay. So the the Parasite, uh, I, I mean, I'm assuming that this has to do with uh, with Rebus and how that 
how it, it reproduces. And I and I uh, I imagine that that Larry is going to die, and that slug thing is going to be a new body for him, with all, with all his memories and stuff. It could be Rebus is very interesting in the comics because Larry was supposed to have died in that first version of the Doom Patrol, but then they found out that he was being held by this like secret society, right? And when he's alive and safe, um, he's in a hospital and he doesn't have the negative spirit. And the negative spirit comes to him and grabs him and then like fuses him with With uh, this other woman, this this African-American woman. And he makes them into Rebus. So, yeah, I don't know that. That might be their way that they explain Rebus and stuff. Yeah, I feel like the, I feel like they wouldn't want to get away with with um, taking someone and merging them into somebody else, um, and not from like a like a uh, like forced trans allegory and like that, but more so just the 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 control and the lack of uh, um, choice. Choice, yeah. I feel like that that was that would be something that they would avoid in the show. Right. Right. Because as like forward thinking as, as Grant Morrison is, and as outside of the box as he was in the '80s, there's still stuff that's kind of dated in this, you know. Yeah, it's very much like the whole like Psylocke conundrum, you know, um, that, that went on for years. Uh, and it's like you look back at it, and it's like, wow, that is really, really messed up. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. But at the same time, I still don't, I, I still don't like the, the the characters that came out of it as much as I like the character that was before. But yeah, yeah. Believe me, I, I relate. That my favorite version of Psylocke is the Asian Psylocke that's Betsy Brodick on the inside. Believe yeah, because Uncanny X Force, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what I was going to say was that Doom Patrol was trending today on Twitter. And I think it was because of Alan Tudyk, um, you know, because he was Mr. Nobody. But it was interesting because, you know, just scrolling through it, I, this is the kind of show where I feel like not a lot of people are into it. And I've, I've actually gotten messages on here where people have been like, you know, oh, I couldn't get into Doom Patrol or like, I don't like Doom Patrol. And I just think it's kind of interesting that it's this show about outsiders and weirdos. And it is kind of treated like the show itself is an outsider. You know? Yeah, I mean, they're not they're not as established superheroes. I mean, and they're not I mean, you can even barely call them superheroes, uh, you know, in the comic itself, too. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I could definitely see it being an outlier, but I, I, I like weird stuff. I, I like the emotional beats. Um, and I, I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm still enjoying the show, even though maybe, maybe the season so far is a little lesser. Yeah. I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that way. I just, I, I wasn't really enjoying the stuff with the sisterhood of Dada and Rita in the past, but, uh, you know, there's still three episodes left so we can see where it goes. Yeah. Um, when I was scrolling through the Doom Patrol thread, someone said they were filming season four. Is that true? Oh, I haven't heard that, but I'd be happy to hear that. Yeah, they showed uh, what's her face that plays uh, Jane. It's uh, Guerrero's her last name. What's her first name? Diane Guerrero. Yeah, yeah. They showed her, and it looked like a video of her, like maybe on set. I didn't know if that was like they were joking that they're filming Doom Patrol four, or if it, like legitimately they were filming Doom Patrol. Season four. Yeah, I'm gonna look right. into that. I, I mean, I, I, obviously, we don't know what happens in the end of the season, even though the episodes are out. Um, but I, I hope that we we do get a, a a fourth season. I hope whatever season it ends on, we get a proper closure to it. And it's not like you know something that's ended abruptly and rushed, like you know most shows that are kind of fringe that maybe don't have as many viewers as normally necessary for a successful show to be renewed. 
Very well put. Very well put. I feel the exact same way. Yeah. Um, these, these characters have definitely like th these versions of these characters have definitely gotten away into my heart. And yeah, that's the kind of ending I want to, where it's like a proper ending that they decided to end on. So yeah, yeah, well put. And so, uh, we have three episodes left of doom patrol, which we will cover next Wednesday, um, on this channel. And then after that, we're going to pick up with another Marvel show. Moon Knight will be on Disney plus by the end of this month. So, and then of course we have Morbius, right, Brian? Yep, more can't, number one movie of the year. <laughs> the next Marvel legend. I'm just waiting, man. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, uh, yeah, but if you guys want to leave some comments, if you guys have gotten into the show, please let us know. I want to hear what your thoughts are on Doom Patrol besides you don't like it or you can get into it. But uh, what do you call it? Me and Brian will be here next week wrapping up our Doom Patrol and some more Marvel stuff coming soon. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Fantastic! Like Robin, are you listening? He's already <laughs> he's already plotting out the blueprints of that box set. But like, yeah. I I think that speaks to uh, I I think that's one of the things about the '80s that is the most um, important for this time is we '80s kids really uh, we grew up asking questions. We didn't have the internet. So like we were the ones who ran to the bookstore to get the magazines and we want, like we are the perfect generation uh, to grab onto these four or five hour documentaries that give us everything we want to know. Whereas maybe like a kid born 10, 15 years later would just be like, I'll just Google it. But mm -hmm. I, I think that's why Pete and I especially appreciate like these documentaries so much. And I think that's why the crowdfunding has been there for you. I, I, well, I, 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 your support means a lot to me and to us and um, your feedback and your excitement about this stuff is something that we pay very close attention to. Um, you know, we're, we, we have a by the fans for the fans mentality. Um, and this, like I said before, this is the kind of stuff that we love and we would want to see ourselves. And we, put ourselves in a position to make these films. I hope that for future generations that are not like us, that they pick up In Search of Tomorrow. I hope that they can see these original movies and not think, let's make a reboot of this. Let's make a sequel to this. But instead like, oh, we should make a whole new movie and they're inspired by these movies instead. So like, you know, if you want to just bring more people into your world, where can these people find these documentaries? How can they be a part of this process? Uh, well, In Search of Tomorrow uh, is on sale uh, for a limited time. If you go to 80sscifidoc.com, uh, you got to go between now and March 27th. Uh, as I said, we're a small company, so we manufacture in batches. And so we, we have to know how many we're going to manufacture. Uh, and so it's not like we, we, we manufacture a lot and distribute it to stores and have a big stockpile in a warehouse somewhere. It doesn't work that way for a small company. It's not, uh, it's not economically sensible to do that. So right now this is the only time you can get it. You can't get it on streaming. You can't get it at the store. You got to go to 80scifidoc.com. The cool thing is you get all sorts of cool perks. Like you get your name in the credits. So you could look at that. I mean, people now who've gotten this early, they're all getting on social media saying, I am a, a part of making this a reality. And I'm proud to show this to my friends and my family and my dog, you know? So 
that's a super cool thing. And then you get, you know, the collectibles, you get, you know, uh, uh, three exclusive posters of amazing artwork uh, uh, for the film and, you know, a variety of other things. You could choose your DVD and your Blu-ray at a slip case. You got your digital copy, you know, a variety of things. You check out the site and you can see what's, what's going on. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, if you go to the Twitter, you know, the Twitter handle, the Instagram handle, the Facebook handle of 80s sci-fi doc, you get all the information uh, up next after this, we've got In Search of Darkness coming up, In Search of Darkness 3. So if you go to 80s, sci sorry, I gave you 80s sci-fi doc. Now you go to the same places, but 80s horror doc or 80s horror doc.com. Uh, that's where you get all the information uh, if you want to get in line to purchase In Search of Darkness 3, which I got to go because I got to make it. But that being said, no, we're in production on that, uh, which is pretty cool. I mean, if I could ask you without like spoiling too much, you know, is there for each of you one particular thing that you really connected with for In Search of Tomorrow, you know, compared to the other stuff that, you know, In Search of Darkness or just coming blind, not knowing what to expect? So uh, for me, I'm sorry to like, take over, Danny, but like, uh, the Star Trek stuff is very important to me too, because as a kid, my parents would take me to the theaters. My mom has a story about how she went to go see the Wrath of Khan and I was an infant and I was crying. They had to take me out of the theater and I just peed on her. So she always remembers me peeing on her at the Wrath of Khan. But I was going to say that those movies, the, the Wrath Star of Trek, Pete, apparently. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, those movies meant a lot to me in particular. And I really like just hearing Nicholas Meyer talk about his approach to those movies and what he would have done for the search uh, for Spock and just like what those movies meant to the people involved. So I think it's that particular set of movies for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, it, it just, it, it really felt like a time capsule. Uh, I had so many of these movies taped on VHS um, like Explorers, Flight of the Navigator, like it, it made me think about, my dad passed away last year and it, it just made me think about all the times my dad would take me to the video store and, and we would just rent these movies on repeat and then he would tape them off TV whenever they would get on there. Um, and then the other thing is just uh, during the scene on the abyss, uh, during your, your section on the abyss, it my favorite subgenre of of anything is anything that has to do with underwater. Jaws, mm -hmm. Jaws is my favorite movie. So anything, and like I saw on the poster in the background, you had like Lords of the Deep, Deep Star Six, uh, Leviathan, and the Abyss. And I'm just like that was maybe my favorite year of my childhood because I could rent an underwater horror or sci-fi movie <laughs> every week and see all of this great stuff. So those. It also made me realize I have to rewatch The Abyss. It's been far too long. Mm. Great well, th movie. Th thanks for sharing with the the, the highlights for you guys. I, I think maybe I'll, I'll end on this and just say what I've recognized uh, in the last, in the In Search of Darkness movies and, and as much so in terms of how I approach all the movies here um, in In Search of Tomorrow is that these movies just go, they transcend the movie itself. So. This is a movie about not only movies, but an era and the advances of the era and the visions of the era. But all these movies, it's really about who you were with, what you were doing, why these movies were important to you, even if the movie itself wasn't that important or memorable. Right. You know, who you were with, 
um, what you were escaping from or escaping to in your life at the time, you know, how much of a deep dive you wanted to do before or after and the memories of just doing what you could or getting a piece of it and a little souvenir for yourself, whether it was a soundtrack or a magazine or, you know, cutting out pictures from Starlog magazine and taping it to your bedroom door. You know, these are things I think all of us did in some way, shape or form. And, you know, I, I think of Megaforce and I think about not only seeing the theater, but I think of every single comic book that had, you know, Ace Hunter, you know, deeds, not words pointing at you, giving the thumbs up, you know, that was as much about the hype of the film than the film itself, you know, which may or may not have delivered, you know, and I remember all that kind of stuff. And uh, it just warms our hearts. It's just happy, happy memories. And and you can't discount what kids are experiencing today. They're, they're experiencing things differently, but they're going to remember all this stuff in a whole different way. And gosh, the last two years, they're going to all have, uh, they're all in the same boat. And so there's a whole generation that's going to be able to say, what were you doing when? Uh, where they could just talk to a stranger and everyone knows what they're talking about. And they're going to have a point of reference to expand their discussions about what pop culture they consumed and what they did to just deal with the time where you couldn't go out and people around you were getting sick and things were up and upside down and crazy. And then we all thought we were out of it. And next thing you know, World War Three is the next thing on the plate on their bingo card. So, you know, right. That, so that's, you know, we live in, in topsy turvy, crazy times. And so, I think it's always important to have one foot in reality to just make sure you know what's going on in the world. But I sure love to go back to the nostalgia of my youth to disappear into my collectibles and my movies and my TV shows and my music that brought real joy to myself and have happy memories of the people in my life, whether they're here now or they're no longer with us. They're always in our hearts, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're making me think about In Search of TikTok, which is going to come out in 1985. <laughs> and it'll be 2022. Remember this? Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> cool, man. Yeah. Well, dude, as always, like I said, it, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, we just love talking to you like every couple of months, it seems like. But it's like one of the highlights of doing this channel. So, well, definitely. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on again.